Chapter Forty Five of North Pole Voyages by Zaharia A. Mudge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Forty Five The Wonderful Escape. Our voyagers needed all the strength and courage which the timely capture of the great seal had given them. They had drifted into a warmer sea, and windy March was well upon them. Their flow began to herald its fast-approaching dissolution. The weary and anxious drifters were startled by day, and awakened suddenly by night, by a rumbling, mingled with fearful grindings and crashes underneath them. Heavy ice-cakes, overrode by the heavier flow, ground along its under-surface, and, when finding an opening of thin ice, rushed with a thundering sound to the upper surface. The din was at times so great that it seemed to combine all alarming sounds. Through all its scale the horrid discord ran, now mocked the beast, now took the groan of man. On the eleventh a storm commenced. Whole fleets of icebergs, having broken away from the icy bands in which the flow had held them, hovered round to charge upon the helpless campers. The vast area of ice on which they had been riding for so many months was lifted in places by mighty seas beneath, causing it to crack with a succession of loud reports and dismal sounds, some of which seemed to be directly under them. The wind drove before it a dense cloud of snow, so that one could scarcely see a yard. Night came with a darkness that could be felt. The icy foundation of their camp might separate at any moment, and tumble their huts about their ears, or plunge them into the sea. They gathered their few treasures together, and stood ready to fly. But where? Death seemed to guard every avenue of escape. Suddenly, soon after the night set in, the disruption came. Their flow was shattered, with a fearful uproar, into hundreds of pieces, and they went surging off among the fragments on a piece, less than a hundred yards square. They were within twenty yards of its edge, but God had kindly forbid the separation to run through their camp and sever them from their boat or from each other. After raging sixty hours, the storm abated, and their little ice-ship drifted rapidly in the pack. A goodly number of seals were shot, and they began to breathe more freely. After a short time another ugyuk was captured, so food was plenty. March wore away, seals were plenty and readily taken, and though the bergs ground together and made fierce onsets into the pack, our ice-ship held gallantly on her way. One night the inmates of Joe's hut were about retiring, when a noise was heard outside. "'What is it, Joe? Is the ice breaking up?' Joe does not stop to answer, but rushes out. But in ten seconds he comes back in a greater hurry, pale and breathless. "'There's a bear close to my kayak!' he exclaims in an excited tone. Now the situation was this. The kayak was within ten paces of the entrance to the hut, and the loaded guns, which can never be kept in an Eskimo hut on account of the moisture, were in and leaning against the kayak. If the bear should take a notion to put his nose at the hut door, and liking the odor knock down the snow wall with his strong paw, and commence a supper on one of its inmates, what was to hinder him? 
but bears, like many young people, often failed to improve their golden opportunities. He found some seal fat and skins in the kayak, and these he pulled out, and walked off with them a rod or two to enjoy the feast. Joe crept out of the hut and ran to alarm the men. Captain Tyson followed, slipped softly up to the kayak and seized his gun. But in taking it he knocked down another one and alarmed the bear, who looked up and growled his objections to having his supper disturbed. Tyson leveled his rifle, snapped it, but it missed fire. He tried a second and third time, and it did not go. But he did, for his bearship was taking the offensive. Content to see his enemy flee, the bear returned to his supper. How many foolish bears have we seen on our explorations lose their lives by an untimely eating, but some men more foolish lose more than life by drinking. The captain returned to the field with a new charge in his gun. This time it sent a ball through the bear. The ball entering the left shoulder and passing through the heart came out at the other side. He staggered, but before he fell, Johan sent another ball into his vitals. He dropped dead instantly. This affair occurred when it was too dark to see many yards, and was much pleasanter in its results than its duration. The seal hunting was successful, and with bear meat and blubber, a full store, there was no hunger unappeased, but the wind blew a gale, and the sailless, rudderless, oarless little ice ship, now banging against a berg, and now in danger of being run down by one, all the while growing alarmingly smaller, finally shot out into the open sea away from the flow. This would not do. So feeling that they might soon be dropped into the sea, they loaded the boat with such things as was strictly necessary, and all hands getting aboard sailed away. A part of their ammunition, their fresh meat, a full month's supply, and many other desirable things were abandoned. The boat, only intended to carry eight persons, was so overloaded with its twenty, including children, that it was in danger of being swamped at any moment. The frightened children cried, and the men looked sober. They sailed about twenty miles west, and landed on the first tolerably safe piece of ice which they met. Hans and family nestled down in the boat, and the rest, spreading on the floe what skins they had, set up a tent, and all, after eating a dry supper of bread and pemmican, lay down to rest. Thus, boating by day and camping on the ice at night for several days, they drew up on the 4th of April, upon a solid-looking floe. Snow huts were built, seals were taken, and hope revived. But what is hope, resting on Arctic promises? The gale was abroad again, the sea boisterous, and their floe was thrown into a panic. Fearful noises were heard beneath and around them, and their icy foundations quaked with fear. Joe's snow hut was shaken down. He built it again, and then Lot and House fell off into the sea and disappeared. Thus warned, the camp was pushed farther back from the water. But they did not know where the crack and separation would next come. Thus they lived in anxious watching through weary days. The gale unabated. Finally, one night, the feared separation came. All hands except Mr. Myers were in the tent, near them, 
so near a man could scarcely walk between was the boat containing myers and the kayak but with mischievous intent the crack ran so as to send the boat drifting among the breaking and overlapping ice mr myers could not manage it of course under such circumstances and the kayak was of no use to any but an eskimo so he set it afloat hoping it would drift to the flow party here was a fearful situation the flow party as well as mr myers was sure to perish miserably if the boat was not returned there was only a dim light and objects at a short distance looked hazy it was a time for instant and desperate action joe and hans took their paddles and ice spears and started for the boat jumping from one piece of floating slippery ice to another they were watched in breathless suspense until they seemed in the shadowy distance to have reached the boat and then all was shut out in the darkness the morning came and the flow party were glad to see that the boat had three men in it it was a half mile off and the kayak was as far away in another direction it was soon clear that the boat could not be brought back without a stronger force tyson led the way and finally all but two of the men made the desperate passage of the floating ice to the imperiled craft it was with difficulty that with their combined force the boat was returned to the floe the kayak was also recovered for a brief time there was quiet all round the aurora gleamed and displayed its wonderful beauty of form and motion while the majestic icebergs in every varied shape reflected its sparkling light the grandeur of sea and sky seemed a mockery to the danger beset voyagers the elements might be grand but they had combined to destroy them for a new form of peril now appeared the sea came aboard of their icy craft they were sitting one evening under their frail tent the boat near when a wave swept over their flow carrying away tent clothing provisions everything except what was on their persons or in the boat the women and children had been put on board in fear of such an occurrence and the men had just time to save themselves by clinging to the gunwale the boat itself was borne into the middle of the flow when the wave subsided the boat was dragged back lest another push by a succeeding one might launch it into the sea from the other side it was well they did this for another wave bore it to the opposite edge and partly slipped it into the water this game of surging the boat from one side to the other of the floe was kept up from nine o'clock in the evening to seven in the morning all this time the men were in the water fighting the desperate battle for its safety and the preservation of their own lives the conflict being made more terrible by the fact that every wave bore with it ice blocks from a foot square to those measuring many yards having sharp edges and jagged corners with which it battered their legs until they were black and blue it was the severest test of their courage and endurance yet experienced but god was their helper not one perished and when the defeated sea was by his voice commanded to retire and the day appeared they were not seriously harmed but they were cold and wet without a change of clothes and utterly provisionless 
it is not surprising that after their rough handling on the floe they should seek a larger and safer one this they did launching their crowded boat into the turbulent sea and working carefully along succeeded in landing safely on one stronger looking nothing worse happening than the tumbling overboard of the cook who was quickly rescued here cold half drowned hungry and weary to faintness they tried to dry and warm themselves in the feeble rays of the sun and wait for their food at the hand of the great provider in the use of such means as were yet left to them they had preserved their guns and a small supply of powder and shot snow and rain came on and continued until noon of the next day april twenty second their hunger was fearful mr myers had been slightly frost-bitten when drifting away alone in the boat his health seemed broken and he was actually starving in the afternoon of this day joe went as usual with his gun he had caught nothing on this floe and now there were no signs of seals though it was his fourth time out that day what should they do god had their relief all arranged joe saw what he did not expect to see and what was seldom seen so far south a bear he ran back to the boat called hans with his trusty rifle and the two lay down behind the hammocks all were ordered to lie down keep perfectly quiet and feign themselves seals the eskimo helping out the deception by imitating the seal bark bruin came on cautiously he too was hungry what are those black objects and what is that noise he seemed to say they don't look quite like seals the noise is not just like the seal cry but hunger is a weighty reason with men and bears on the side of what they desire to believe so the bear came on when fairly within an easy range both rifles cracked and he fell dead the whole party arose with a shout polar was dragged to the boat and skinned his warm blood slaked their raging thirst his meat tender and good satisfied their gnawing hunger they were saved from a terrible death seals were secured soon after and hope again revived it was not long before their ice-craft crumbled away so they were obliged to repeat the experiment always full of danger of launching into the sea and making for a larger and safer one april twenty eighth they were beset by a fleet of bergs which were crashing against each other with a thundering noise and occasionally turning a threatening look towards the fail craft of our drifters so angrily at last did one come down upon them that they abandoned their flow and rode away surely there is no peace for them by night or day on the flow or afloat in their boat they dare not lie down a moment without keeping one half of their number on the watch but what is that in the distance a steamer a thrill of joy goes through the boat's company every possible signal is given but she does not see them and another night is spent on the floe the next morning every eye was straining to see a whaler soon one appears they shout raise their signals and fire every gun at once but she passes out of sight april thirtieth as the night was setting in foggy and dark the shout from the watch of steamer brought all to their feet 
She was right upon them in the fog before she was seen. Hans was soon alongside of her in his kayak, telling their story as best he could. In a few moments the whaler was alongside of their piece of ice. Captain Tyson removed his old, well-worn cap, called upon his men, and three cheers were given, ending with a tiger, such as the poor fellows had not had heart to give for many long months. The cheers were returned by a hundred men from the rigging and deck of the vessel. It was the sealer Tigress, Captain Bartlett, of Conception Bay, Newfoundland. They soon had the planks of a good ship beneath them, instead of a treacherous floe. Curious but kind friends beset them, instead of threatening bergs, and every comfort succeeded to utter destitution. They had been on the floe six months, and floated more than sixteen hundred miles. They were speedily conveyed by the way of Conception Bay and St. John's to their own homes, the telegraph having flashed throughout the length and breadth of the land their coming, and the nation rejoiced. But there were tears mingled with the joy that one, the noble, the true, the Christian commander of the expedition, Charles Francis Hall, lay in his icy grave in the far north. As speedily as possible the Tigress was purchased and fitted out by the United States government in search of the Polaris party. Captain Tyson and Joe were among her men. She reached Lifeboat Co. about two months after Captain Buddington and his men had left. They learned that much to the grief of the natives, the Polaris had floated off and sunk. The Buddington party arrived home in the fall by the way of England. As we may not meet our Eskimo friends again, with whom we have made so many voyages, the reader will want to know the last news from them. Hans and his family returned to Greenland in the Tigress. Joe has bought a piece of land and a house near New London, Connecticut, and intends, with his family, to remain there, getting a living by fishing. Thus ended the last American North Pole expedition. The last from other governments have not been more successful. Yet while we write, England and Austria are reported as getting ready further North Polar expeditions to start in the spring of 1875. It must be allowed that the icy sceptre guardian of the North has made a good fight against the invaders into his dominions. But the nations of the earth are determined to send men to sit on his throne though they find it a barren and worthless, as well as a cold domain. The End End of chapter 45 This is also the end of North Pole Voyages by Zahari A. Mudge Recorded by Christine in Riga, Latvia, February 29, 2020